As the Money Burns is an original podcast by Nikki Woodard. Based on historical research, this is a deep exploration into what happened to a set of actual heirs and heiresses to some of America's most famous fortunes when the Great Depression hit. Each episode has three primary sections. Section 1 is a narrative story. Section 2 goes deeper into the historical facts. Section 3 focuses on contemporary, emotional, and personal connections. Story Recap Cobina Wright attempts to rebuild her fortune and marriage with a supper club. Barbara Hutton goes on a trip around the world, seeking her next chance at love. Now back to As the Money Burns. Fiery Eruptions. During their honeymoon, one couple visits an active volcano, while nearby racial turmoil threatens to erupt in tropical paradise. Section 1 Story Sunday, December 27, 1931, Hawaii. Tropical, warm, sunny, beautiful Hawaii. The perfect place to honeymoon even back in 1931 and 1932. Newlyweds William Sam Van Allen and his wife Elizabeth Betty Kent spend their first holidays as a married couple in paradise. Betty's pretty auburn red hair perfectly accentuated with exotic blooms. Staying mostly in Honolulu, the couple make their way to Hale Maumau Pit Crater to see an active shield volcano, Kiluawea. Back in August 1931, they married at her family's main estate, Sanaji, which was once owned by Sam's great-aunt, Aunt Louise Vanderbilt. Now the young couple intend to spend four months on the Pacific Island before returning to life on the mainland. Renting a house on Diamond Head, they are visiting the Volcano House for this day's excursion. They romantically stroll over the volcanic glass to watch the magic of nature only 300 feet away. The Hawaiian islands formed from a volcanic plume as the oceanic tectonic plate slides over it. Part of the lure and mythology of the islands comes from the five active volcanoes. There are at least 10 black sand beaches, remnants from the black lava flows. The House of Everlasting Fire, Hale Maumau, occasionally has a steamy and fiery lava lake depending on the eruption cycle. It periodically goes dormant for a decade or two, but has become active again since 1924. The recent cone built up in 1930 after the 1929 eruption. Now, another spectacular and the most violent recent eruption comes two days shy of Christmas, December 23, 1931, at 2.50 p.m. Four and a half hours earlier, a heavy earthquake shakes the surrounding area, opening 10 fountains of molten lava spurting 40 and 50 feet, with some reaching even 200 and 300 feet high. Walls of red flame, a pyrotechnic display. A fiery river races at 18 miles an hour down towards the Alika shore. The 48-acre fire pit fills up once again with sloping, sloshing, seething mass of liquid rock. The surrounding lava crust, red hot along the edges. Blue smoke beckons more to come. Discouraged away from the toxic sulfur fumes, visitors and onlookers gather at Uwe Kahuna Bluff to watch. But as days go by, more tourists make their way to the site and the volcano house. 
every auto going and coming from the same location. The eruptions continue until Tuesday, January 5th, 1932. Frantically, Betty's parents radio magnet Atwater Kent and his wife Mabel Kent frequently reach out to the young couple, checking on their safety and begging them to return early from their honeymoon. But their fears are not about the volcano. The grand nature spectacle isn't the only danger erupting in paradise. In Honolulu, racial turmoil threatens more chaos. On Waikiki, late into the evening, September 12th to 13th, 1931, a 20-year-old naval officer's wife is walking home from a dinner party when five native hoodlums drive up, strike her in the jaw, pull her into the car, drive off, then assault her at a lonely beach spot. She is found 12 hours later on the side of the road, beaten, broke, and hysterical. She will identify four of her attackers. In the preceding months, five more white women will be attacked with similar racial dynamics. On December 5, 1931, the most serious case, which involved the naval officer's wife, resulted in a hung jury of the five accused men. On Tuesday, December 15, 1931, infuriated sailors retaliate by taking one of the accused, a Japanese man, Horace Ida, to the top of a mountain and beat him mercilessly. Saturday, January 9, 1932. Military patrols the streets in the paradise of the Pacific. A second and more sensational reaction ends in murder. Four are held in the murder of another of the free accused men. Local prize fighter, boxer Joseph Kahahavai, who is kidnapped from the court steps. Joseph is taken to a private home, beaten, held underwater in the bathtub, then shot in the head. His body is found naked and wrapped in a sheet in an automobile on the way to disposal. The accused are society matron Mrs. Granville Fortescue of New York and Washington, D.C., her son-in-law, U.S. Lieutenant Thomas Massey, and enlisted Navy man Edward J. Lord. A fourth, Albert Jones, will be arrested soon after. The revenge assault occurs inside Fortescue's Hawaiian home. Her daughter and Massey's wife, Talia Fortescue Massey, is the victim the naval wife, in the prior attack. Upon hearing of her daughter's assault, the mother immediately went to Hawaii. When arrested, Fortescue is driving the car with Massey and Lord inside. At her Hawaiian residence, bloody towels and blood spatter are found inside. Back in New York, her husband, Major Granville Fortescue, collapses upon hearing about the crimes and arrest of his wife. The U.S. Navy requests jurisdiction over the murder, but Hawaiian authorities insist on civilian courts. From the Oahu prison, another native, Luis Kayapu, escaped and attacked a white woman, but was caught again. Rumors claim that upon return, Louise is hanged by other irate prisoners, but those rumors are dismissed by Colonel Anderson, with whom Louise remains in custody. Tension grows as more trials await, both for native and white offenders. The Massey trial will occur in April 1932. With all the ongoing conflicts, the military immediately reacts by gathering its troops and forbidding them to return to Honolulu. They keep on their maritime patrols and drills off the shore. Local merchants fret the absence of sailors who are good customers buying the hula skirt supplies. As preparations for the next set of trials begin, the Kents press for Sam and Betty to return, but the couple insists they are staying in a quiet and serene place. Still, later in January 1932, Sam and Betty Van Allen leave Paradise and will stop in New York for a fancy ball before Palm Beach. There, Sam's mother, Newport Society Queen Daisy Van Allen, resides at the Shingle Shack 
with Betty's parents nearby. Others migrating to the winter hotspot include E.T. Stotesbury with his wife, Eva Stotesbury, and millionaire Phil Plant returns from Bermuda. Charming lives heading into the stormy waters of 1932. Section 2, History and Historiography. Even paradise can find itself in the middle of hell. Already in 1931, the Honolulu Police Force was undergoing racial tension between the McIntosh faction led by Captain Nelson McIntosh with white officers and backed by Hawaii's business elite versus the Howe faction led by Deputy Sheriff David Howe with police officers of a Hawaiian heritage and supported by politically powerful Hawaiian royalty. When Howe retires in August 1931, McIntosh tries to take over for both factions, but the Honolulu Sheriff keeps the separate structure in place. The racial tension has simmered under the surface for years. The former polyandry islands, meaning many women with multiple husbands, are now heavily male to female in ratio. Only 44% of men are married. Non-white Europeans, Japanese, Chinese, Russians from the Siberian steppes, Portuguese, Koreans, Filipinos, and other nearby regions come to work on the thriving sugar plantations, the economic disparities fueling further conflicts. Previously, Talia Fortescue had her debutante ball in 1927. During that bygone time, she is escorted about with Eva Stotesbury acting as her guide in Philadelphia's circles. Later in 1927, Talia marries Thomas Massey. In 1930, he is stationed in Hawaii, where Talia has trouble getting along with others, including the officers' wives. Talia always saw herself as superior to others. In reaction to friend Grace Fortescue being arrested, socialite Eva Stotesbury convinces famed defense attorney and another family friend, Clarence Darrow, to come out of retirement to defend Mrs. Grace Bell Hubbard Fortescue. Grace's grandfather, Gardiner Green Hubbard, is the first president of the National Geographic Society and first president of the Bell Telephone Company, and her father is the first cousin of inventor Alexander Graham Bell. Grace's husband and Talia's father is Major Granville Fortescue, a former Rough Rider and the first cousin of former President Theodore Roosevelt. Famous for the Scopes Monkey Trial and the Leopold and Loeb murder case, Darrow claims the defense was an honor killing. Hit hard in his savings by the Great Depression, Darrow comes out of a seven-year retirement with the bait of a popular trial, a foreign locale, and for the group's defense, a retainer of 30000 that's 652000 by 2023. On March 24, 1932, Darrow arrives aboard the ship Malalo. In 1932, the second criminal trial, formerly called the Massey Trial, will be held. The case is presented from April 4 to 29, 1932. The final verdict, the four convicted of manslaughter. In the process of the trial, it is revealed that the accused Horace Ida and Joseph Kahavai were involved in a car accident that September night on the other side of the city, refuting their ability as Talia Massey's claim to assault her, robbed and beaten at first, but later of rape. When the men are arrested, they thought it was for their earlier car accident. After the hung jury in their trial, Grace targeted both men for punishment, inciting their subsequent attacks and the murder. In 1932, the closing arguments are broadcast across the nation via radio. 
Darrow once again shows the mastery of his rhetorical skills. Grace Fortescue, Thomas Massey, Edward Lord, and Albert Jones are all sentenced to 10 years hard labor. Swift diplomatic maneuverings between Washington, D.C. and Honolulu comes with interference at the highest level. President Herbert Hoover. Due to the president's insistence, the sentences are commuted to one hour with time served in the offices by territorial governor Lawrence Judd. The condition being the Masseys and Fortescue will not pursue a second-rate trial prosecution. Later that year, Pinkerton detectives investigate the original Native assault and determine there is no way that the accused Natives, Ida Kahahavai, and the three others would have been able to commit the Talia Massey attack. Though absolved, the surviving four accused will live their lives in partial hiding to avoid more attention. At the time, the press speculates the bid for Hawaiian statehood might be ended permanently over the conflict, but Hawaii will be granted statehood on August 21, 1959. However, in more immediate reaction results, natives previously divided by their various different ethnicities will unite across racial lines and gain more power with a joint voice both politically and financially. After the trial, the Masseys and others involved promptly leave the island fearing more retaliation. Massey's once-promising military career is effectively over. By 1934, Talia and her husband will go to Reno and divorce. There, Talia makes two failed suicide attempts. In 1963, Talia will commit suicide by overdosing on barbiturates, and Thomas died earlier in 1944. In 1966, shortly before his death, Albert Jones will admit he is the shooter in an interview with Peter Van Slingerland for the book Something terrible has happened. For the same book, Talia's sister Helen Fortescue admits as a 16-year-old girl she hid the murder weapon from the detectives. Helen will later write a play in 1984 on the murder. Talia and Helen's mother, Grace Fortescue, will die in 1979, unrepentant and unapologetic for her crimes. For 1932, Hawaii isn't the only place facing racial troubles. In India, more tensions arise in early January 1932. While Mahatma Gandhi sits in prison at Pune, his wife, Kasturbai Gandhi, leads a women's protest against the British government for which Mrs. Gandhi receives a six-week jail sentence for her participation in the no-tax campaign in Bardal. Other protests keep happening amongst women picketing shops which offer British goods. Those women are also arrested. A more serious outbreak occurs after 30 are injured in Karachi and another 10,000 storm the jail to free three prisoners. Elsewhere, 5,000 railway workers strike to curtail their working hours. Millions of Indians are following Gandhi's recommendation of nonviolent protest. In the Bombay Government Gazette, over 80 allied organizations are declared unlawful associations with several leaders arrested. As the tension continues to escalate, the British sends more reinforcement to quell potential uprisings. Not exactly the hopeful or happy beginnings for a brand new year. Section 3, Contemporary and Personal Relevance A new year has begun with so many possibilities. We always like to think there is something positive around the corner. But what if it's not? Or worse, something negative, a big negative, is on its way. 
Volcanoes are generally considered dormant after three consecutive months of non-activity. But even then, any signs of tremors or earthquakes are monitored to see if fissures or other changes will start another cycle. Life near a volcano is one on the edge. But the physical presence of a natural phenomena is nothing compared to ongoing human drama, from which anywhere or anytime complications can arise and resurface. 1932 is the worst year of the Great Depression. All the bad gets magnified. Bank failures, crop failures, dust bowls, unemployment. Anyone who survived the first half might still go down. Tensions are rising. Similarly, in 2023, we are heading into the coldest part of winter, with a worldwide energy crisis, food shortages, and an ongoing war exasperating both. Things are rough both on individual and personal, as well as larger societal, community, and even international levels. With that, more problems surface and old resentments are bound to flare up and magnify. What more are we going to experience collectively over the next couple of years? The Massey trial would long affect relations in the Hawaiian area. There is even a hint at delaying the bid for Hawaii statehood, which eventually occurs two decades later. But not all is forgotten. Recently in 2021, Joseph Kahahawai's relatives make a public bid to commemorate his memory. For decades, attention was dampened to not upset the powerful Fortescue family into another retaliation. Simmering, dormant residual feelings inevitably surface. Meanwhile, another dangerous but alluring natural occurrence continues to fascinate and attract tourists to the islands. From January 3, 1983 to August 4, 2018, Kiluawea is in a constant state of eruption for 35 years. This will be the 12th longest duration recorded since 1750. It is referred as the Pu'u'o'o eruption. The ongoing activity is seen in several movies and films, including one of my favorites, 1987's Black Widow. The female protagonist visits the crater with a potential male victim of a female serial killer. As recently as December 2022, another Hawaiian volcano erupts, thus attracting more visitors. A dull, boring period sounds good compared to violent and ongoing conflicts. But what if dormancy leads to more pent-up eruptions later? The new year has begun and many wait for the return of HBO's Gilded Age TV series. In the meantime, you can enjoy Gilded Age-related content via Instagram and Facebook. Gary Lawrence's Mansions of the Gilded Age and the Gilded Age Society. He also hosts several webinars through New York Adventure Club. Come listen to Gary discuss with great details the homes of the elite and several of our characters at nyadventureclub.com. Looking for a fun and relaxing distraction for a fashion history buff or creative outlet? Then check out The Gilded Age, a fashion coloring book by Discovery Lair. There are 50 hand-drawn illustrations, mostly inspired from the 1890s, and features several outfits and activities ranging from debutantes, operas, outdoors, and play. Available on Amazon in the book section. The link will be available in the transcript and the news and events section at asthemoneyburns.com. That's The Gilded Age, a fashion coloring book by Discovery Lair. If you enjoy As The Money Burns, then please share, like, and subscribe. Next, when we return to As The Money Burns... Some newlyweds are enjoying the winter social season, while one couple faces a less than desirable welcome. 
until then. As the Money Burns is an original podcast written, produced, and voiced by Nikki Water, based on historical research. Archival music has been provided by Past Perfect Vintage Music. Check out their website at www.pastperfect.com. Please come visit us at As the Money Burns via GoodPods, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Transcripts, timeline, episode guide, and character bios are available at asthemoneyburns.com.